What, what am I supposed to say? I've never listened to a podcast. You're listening to Big Wheel Coaching Podcast. You're, you're, you're listening to Big Wheel Coaching Podcast. Big podcast. Brian McCulloch here with Big Wheel Coaching. Hey, you're listening to Big Wheel Coaching Podcast. <laughs> And we are live. Hello, everybody. Brian McCulloch here with Big Wheel Coaching. As you know from the awesome Fred Archambault-produced intro, you're listening to the Big Wheel Coaching Podcast, and I have a very special guest here today. Holy smokes, Tony, the T-Rager Rago, big time from Las Vegas here for the Big Wheel Coaching Podcast. I'm so excited about this episode, man. (laughs) Well, that's a hell of an intro, dude. Yeah, well, you deserve a hell of an intro. You're uh, okay. We were just doing the math in our little show notes, but uh, Tony and I'm probably going to refer to him. Everyone uh, at, who's listening at home, I'm just going to listen refer to him as T Rage because Tony and I have been working together for a long time, and I just like he is just the man. So um, anyway, so so Tony, you were we were just doing the math, right? Like you done 11 events this season on the road. Uh, 23 total races because you're eligible for multiple races on the day and you have nine or more podiums uh, in that time, dude. Like that literally blows my mind. I know we've talked about it before and after and we've set up strategies and all this stuff, but like, holy smokes, man, nine freaking podiums, two wins, a whole lot of seconds, third, like, dude, you are just like, what an incredible season, man. Thank you, man. I really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, a lot of that can be attributed to you and obviously our relationship of working together because um, we turned it up a notch this year. I mean, you know, the big, the biggest, and I don't want to jump too far ahead because I know you have an agenda, but the biggest thing for me was a mindset um, tweak this year. Um, you know, obviously, um, Kim, coming off of that injury that kept me off the bike for three months. You know, I couldn't even put a shoe on, a cycling shoe on until August. And you had me doing the sled dog uh, thing at the uh, Mammoth Fondo. So, I mean, I think my longest ride before that post-injury and before the Fondo was like a 40-mile ride. <laughs> oh, boy. Had, oh, boy. You had, me, you had me in the sled dog, uh, uh, you know, working for uh, the Sub-6 Peloton, which was an amazing experience, by the way. Oh, that's cool, man. That's cool. So for those of you at home, uh, we want to catch you up a little bit. So back in 2018, uh, well, actually, probably for the last five years, Big Wheel Coaching has been a part of the Mammoth Grand Fondo in some capacity, either leading rides or or otherwise participating. And we just think the, the people who run that event are just lovely, lovely people. Caroline Casey and, and Bill Cockroft have been great to us over the years. And so we came up with this idea called the Sub-6 Peloton Experience, and we were going to ride the Fondo in sub six hours and we were all going to ride as a Peloton and we needed, uh, some sled dogs to make that happen. And, uh, Tony was first one to be like, Hey, cause he's a hell of a teammate. He's always the first one to be like, Hey, I'll work for my teammates. And so he wanted this opportunity, but we had an injury, right? T like, uh, this is going back some ways. We're not even talking about this season. This was back probably this time last year when you had, um, a pretty significant foot injury that uh, really put the brakes on everything. Yeah, I missed the last part of the season because of this. It happened right after 
right after Dana Point, actually, um, you know, I had this reoccurring thing with my my foot, and I tore my planter plate somehow, and just was a pretty debilitating injury that you know just it put me off the bike in a boot for for three months. I mean, I couldn't I couldn't walk normally, and I certainly couldn't put a cycling shoe on to do anything. So that was pretty tough. And, you know, that was, uh, it took some grit to come back from that. And especially with, you know, the, the mammoth thing looming over, not looming over my head, but I wanted to do good by you. And I wanted to do good by everybody that was looking forward to that. So, um, it was important for me to, uh, to get it done. I was a bit able to avoid surgery and, um, had a really good ortho, that took care of me. And, um, so far, you know, knock on wood, uh, I've been able to avoid surgery and just doing, you know, some home therapy and some, um, some rehab on my own. I've been able to strengthen it and, uh, here we go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think something that we need to, we need to bring to the conversation for this. So, so we're talking about an injury that happened essentially, one year ago and it took three months off the bike. What was really interesting to me was the, there was no standard operating procedure, so to speak for that injury, right? Like when you and I talked about it, it was like very ambiguous, especially for athletes. The doctors were kind of like, eh, wait and see. And certainly for a cyclist that puts all their weight on their, their feet. Um, it was, there was a big question mark, like, would you even be able to ride again? Right. And as crazy as that sounds, they were, there was never a question of, would you be able to walk or would you be able to do this? It was, would you be able to put your foot into a hard, you know, a hard cycling shoe, a stiff soled shoe and being able to continue. And so what I really applaud you for T was when we were working together, you were like, you just were relentless. And when we talked about this and we talked about this and we just kept talking about it because it was, it was unacceptable to not find a solution or, or really to accept the solution from the doctors that was like, well, wait and see. And that was just unacceptable to you. And it was unacceptable to me because you've worked way too hard. You've made too much, too much progress to just sit by and and let the world pass you by. And so I was really impressed with you. I'm always that way, right? You just think the world would be anyway, but, but I knew that you were like, not going to just settle for this. And so I think it's really important for the people at home to understand like the picture that was painted for you was pretty damn bleak. It was pretty bleak. And you were like, nope, not going to take it. Right. And it doesn't mean it was all, you know, sunshine and peaches and cream. There were some dark days and we had some tough conversations. Right. But, and I think it's worth people kind of understanding that as we kind of progress, like where you've come from to now, you know, having, nine, nine big results in a season that's very, very early still. Yeah. Um, you know, they obviously kind of just labeled this, um, an injury that's very common with pro ball players called turf toe where, you know, typically playing on artificial turf, you're springing off of the, you know, ball of your foot, your toe, and they, you just rip that big ligament under your big toe. And, you know, majority of time it requires surgical intervention and that's just to walk again. Those players, it's usually a career ending injury as, as kind of, uh, as lame as that sounds like, Oh, my toe, you know, I'm out. I'm I'm no longer a pro ball player. Um, 
So I really wanted to avoid that surgery aspect. And I made that very clear to, to the doctors. And because it's a soft, soft tissue injury, it did require that time. And, and yeah, I mean, I echo exactly what you said. I wasn't taking it. Uh, and that's where kind of, you know, I flipped the switch on, on that mindset where, you know, you had to kind of suck it up and do the hard work and do the things that sucked to, uh, to get past that. Um, and what really kind of just, um, kind of bummed me out is cause I had a really good season going, um, yeah. in, in 2018, uh, you know, my, my last result before that, before that injury was I won the San Dimas 45 plus crit. So I was on a high and I wanted to really do well to close out the season. And I was really looking forward to state championships and all of that. And man, I missed it all. And I was so bummed out. And look, when you're off the bike, it's something that you eat, sleep and breathe. And when you can't do that anymore, and then you start doing the soul searching when you're sitting around on the couch and you're like, man, I may never even race again. I mean, you and I had those conversations and <laughs> it's like, wait a second, what, what the hell am I talking about? Of course I'm going to race again. So yeah. the doc said, look, you can go race, you can go do your normal stuff. And I'm just going to tell you that when it breaks again, you have to have surgery. So you can yeah. either hang it up now and, you know, keep the results that you have and go out on a high, or you can jump back in and just basically race until it breaks. And that's really what I chose to do. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. That's, you know what they say, dude, you can take the, uh, you can take the rodeo, you can take the cowboy out the rodeo, but you can't take the rodeo out the cowboy. Right? <laughs> <sighs> no, that's, that, I think it's really important that we talk through that because at that time we were both paralleling some really interesting things and consuming some really interesting, uh, well, at least to me, it's really interesting, um, kind of mindset stuff. And, and I've really been fascinated from the coaching side ab about the impact of mindset. And in particular, I'm really focused on two, two kind of things. And, and one of those is that our mindset influences our body's performance. And that, that really is something you and I are going to get into, but there's also a converse to that. And the, the converse side of that is that our body's feeling like how we take care of our bodies can influence our mindset as well. And then that's obviously a way to get to performance as well. So I think for us though, starting at really delving into that mindset and how you had to harden your mindset and you had to maybe harden isn't the right way to put it because when you said, hey, I have to do this hard work, it wasn't hard work really that you had to do. It was that you had to become comfortable with doing the things that you don't like to do, which are, you know, resting, being patient, uh, letting this injury come to you. And some of these things, uh, that those therapies that like what you want to do, and, and I can be frank, that's what I like to do is like, I like to do the hard work. You like to do the hard work. And that is great because you've moved the needle so far and you make so much progress and it's given you so many results. But for you to then adapt and innovate and come back and go, hey, you know what? I'm going to apply the same thing to things that I don't really care to do that maybe some people in our audience are like, man, I wish I could sit on the couch a little more. But, you know, obviously there was something driving you to get outside the door and just keep pushing because winning the San Dimas Criterium, which at that time was the biggest result you've had. And, and it's still a big result. It's huge. I mean, that was, 
I mean, I remember when you called me afterwards and we were just both doing backflips. It was just so awesome. But, you know, that wasn't enough, right? Like you tasted, you tasted that and we're like, I like that. I'll have some more plates, right? And then it took, it took some, uh, it, it took some healthy patience to get through it and come back. And, and I think the results show it was worth the effort. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, that was the thing. It was the hard part was sitting around and your mind obviously goes to, to a really bad place. And, and like I said, just kind of like doing a little inventory on what you've accomplished so far. And in my, you know, very uh, short cycling career, if you will, <laughs> and saying, you know, is that good enough? And, and I wasn't, it wasn't good enough for me. It just simply wasn't. Well, I think that's how you live your life too, T. I mean, really for those, for those people that don't know you, they know that you're, you're, you're all in, right? You're all in for your teammates. You're all in. I mean, we can just go back to the sub six Peloton experience with the mammoth grand Fondo. And like, as soon as I even mentioned it to you, you were like, Oh yeah, I'm in. And, and I, at that time, I believe we were just experiencing, you were just starting to have the symptoms of the, the turf toe. And it was like, okay, well, of course you're in, but like, let's just see how it goes. And then literally, like you said, your longest ride was 40 miles. And then we got into a hundred mile ride where you were going to ride the front with six guys all day. Right. And like, you yeah. know, I know you were destroyed afterwards, but like none, nobody knew it. Like, no, like you brought the heat hardcore. So I think, uh, I think people just, you know, they can obviously hear that in your voice. I hear it in your voice all the time when we talk and we, um, so it's pretty exciting and I hope that people can see that, that tenacity in you and, and, uh, kind of nurture it a little bit in themselves as well. Hmm. One thing that uh, I wanted to share with people. Okay. So we've talked through this, like a little bit of where you come from, but, but one thing we didn't really get to is like, T, why don't you talk to us about like where you live? Cause you live in Vegas, but, but the more particularly, not just where you live, but like, what it's like to be a bike racer in Vegas and some of the things that that means both in training and in racing. Yeah. So, I mean, living in Las Vegas, we don't have any races here. None. I mean, literally, we did have literally a, zero, zero. We had a, a, a stage race here, Valley fire, um, stage race. That was fantastic. Um, I think I did it two years. I did it as a cat five and as a cat four. Um, and then that kind of just went, that was when that left the Vegas schedule. I mean, nothing has ever replaced it. We've had a red rock TT, but there's not any events located here in Las Vegas. So all of our, you know, all the events, all the racing that we have to do, we have to travel. And like every one of these CBRs, you know, is an overnight stay. And it's four hours plus each way. And, you know, a lot of people just, each way. Yeah. A lot, a lot of people will just say, Hey, dude, are you kidding me for a couple, you know, a couple races, a couple crits? You're, you're driving and, and doing all of that. And so it takes a level of commitment, um, to really want it. But I mean, as you know, I love to race my bike. I mean, I, I absolutely love, I'm very passionate about that. And that obviously, has to start from somewhere from, you know, from training. And, and that's why, you know, not to, not to sell you by any means, but if you're going to be serious about cycling, you need a coach, you need a coach to help you 
um, navigate not only the training regimen that's required to be competitive, but to be there to talk to, I mean, you and I talk race strategy. That's probably, you know, if not the most important thing that we do is, is talking race strategy, mindset, et cetera, outside of just the hard work, the structured training. So, I mean, it takes, it takes a substantial commitment. Um, and not, not, not a lot of people want to do that. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a hell of a cycling community here in Las Vegas. So, you know, you just, you see a lot of people on the road. Our group rides are, are awesome. We, you know, I have a team, we have about 15 guys, um, some of which have very young families. So they race when they can, but for that reason of it being such a long commute, um, you know, the guys can't just make it to every single race. Um, and so, you know, it, it does take, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, obviously, uh, um, in a good position cause I don't have any, any kids and, and my wife is, is just unbelievably supportive in that she knows I really want to do this and I really want to get results. So she supports me a hundred percent in, um, in saying, Hey, look, I'll go do my thing. You go do your thing and I'll see you when you get back. So, um, you know, that's, <laughs> I'm extremely grateful for her. Uh, and, and her allowing me to do that. Well, yeah, Lisa, you know. your wife, Lisa is lovely. Let's be real. I mean, you, you married up, dude, you married up. So that's <laughs> yeah, good. I don't, I don't know what she, what she saw in me. That's for sure. Well, she saw a tenacious, <laughs> she saw a tenacious guy that was going to fight for what he wanted and he, and you wanted her. So there you go. Right. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, I mean, you it's know, a lot, uh, a lot of the people that, that ride their bikes here, um, would love to race. I, I think, but the, the travel part is a deal killer, um, for them. And, and, you know, for me, I'm like listening to podcasts on the way there and, you know, I'm calling you on the way back and we're debriefing about the races. And I, like I said, man, I just, I'm super passionate about the sport. I love it. Um, and if there's a race on the calendar and I can make it happen from a logistics standpoint, I'm going to be there. Love that dude. Love that. And, and I would say one thing that we, I think it's really important to bring up at this point is that it's not like you're a solo flyer. I mean, uh, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about you racing a lot solo, but you've, you've, when we talked about, uh, Sandima stage race earlier this year, you and I had a long talk, right? Because it wasn't just about, well, Hey, I'm going to get in the car and I'm going to knock out this three day stage race. And I, I, I won the crit last year. So I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go back and so make it happen right? There was, there was a lot more to that. And I think it's important for people to see that you really have this dichotomy that it's not just like, Hey, I really want to do well at this. You've got to, you're really passionate about your team and your teammates too, right? Absolutely. Love my dudes. And this year, um, you know, last year, San Dimas, I, I raced the 45 plus and this year's 45 plus, um, the registration was a little weak. And I was really following where the, where the, you know, the race was going to be. So that 35 plus really started to blossom in registration. And I rallied the guys and just said, Hey, who all's in? Um, let's all get in this 35 plus and take it to them. Um, you know, because Mike, Alec and I race Valley of Sun and it was him and I against, <laughs> I mean, the monster squad, the, the monster guys, DeMarkey. Bordine, Tensman, Coxworth. I mean, they just, 
And it was, that was some of the hardest and most fun racing I had ever done. And it was early in the season. So, you know, it really kind of set the tone for the entire year. So I was really stoked to see the majority of those guys registered in the 35 plus um, for San Dimas. So I thought it was going to kind of be a redo and I wanted to bring a couple other guys with me. So uh, thankfully, um, a lot of my guys were able to rearrange schedules and we had a squad of like six guys and, uh, we did the 35 plus and it had all the big players in there. And, uh, you know, Sharon and, and Bahati were there with their guys. Um, stage two had a decent squad. It was a really great field. Um, and we brought it, uh, we brought it, brought the heat, um, my guy, uh, you, you brought some Vegas heat to him. <laughs> That's yeah, right. For sure. For sure. Um, Danny Pierce was able to seal up uh, third place, third overall in the uh, road race. And um, we kind of botched the lead out in the in the crit. So we weren't able to pull off a result there. But just a a killer team bonding uh, type of weekend. We, we had a nice Airbnb, a huge house. And, uh, you know, I love to cook. So I was cooking it up every night for everybody and uh, making sure that we we had the nutrition on point and uh, everybody was ready to race. So uh, really great squad uh, of guys and uh, love racing with them for sure. Yeah. The care, the care fast stork team is super good. I mean, obviously, you know, Tony, we've done over the years, we've coached a number of guys on that team and, and just really, we think the world of that team and, and geez, well, gosh, one year you guys had me out and we did, uh, we did a, we did some team bonding and team training camp type stuff. And I stayed with one of your teammates, Scott Winsler, who's just a, he's just a great man. And so really the, the Vegas cycling scene is really tight knit. Like you said, cause you have to be, you have to be a unique character and, and, and have, I shouldn't say unique character. You have a, you have to have a high <laughs> level of commitment just to, because it's not, you, you talked about that. Well, there's no racing. Like it's not as if it's just paradise out there and there's no racing, right? It's like when we talked the other day, um, you know, we were just talking training and it was like, well, it was raining and then 40 mile an hour gale force winds, you know, and the way that the wind comes through there and the way that the roads are, it's not as if, you, you know, it's just headwind tailwind. Like you're always in a crosswind and it's pretty violent crosswinds and gusty. So, you know, it's not always like that. Obviously there's, there's a lot of good weather as well, but even in the summer, it's really hot. So that means you guys are on the bikes before six sometimes, um, so you really have to be a very passionate and passionate, passionate cyclist to, to be a cyclist in Vegas. So not only do I like tip my hat to you, I tip my hat to all those in Vegas that are, that are working hard and, uh, really enjoying the sport to the maximum. And I think it's great that you're putting in all that extra effort and, and leading by example. And something that comes to my mind, you know, is this, this concept of servant leadership. And I think that's really important in, a cycling team because you have to be able to each person has to really be a leader, but also everyone has to be able to serve the others in so much that that's how we achieve our goal. Right. And so you have been in a lot of ways, the closer in a lot of instances, because you have a great sprint, you're super, you know, you're very savvy with the group, you know, the players, you know, who's strong, who's not, what are the teams, all these things. So in a lot of ways you've been a closer and traditionally in cycling, that affords you various benefits and then people kind of just like do a lot of work for you. 
But what's interesting to me, and it's something that I love about you, Tony, is that like you really practice servant leadership. When you get, when you have the chance, you're making dinner for the guys. You're getting the guys together and saying, Hey guys, I'll race down. Cause you could have won 45 plus. You could have won possibly two stages out there in 45 plus. And we talked about that, that you were giving up that opportunity so that you could be there with the team. And it wasn't even like really a discussion because it's what you wanted. And I knew that's what you wanted. And that's what we talked about. Right. And so for you, that, that concept of servant leadership, I think you embody that so well. And I think the CareFast team is really lucky to have you. Nice. I appreciate that for sure. I mean, I, I try to rise to the occasion, obviously. Um, and then just, just by committing to as many races as I have this year. And, and of course, for the remainder of the year, I'm obviously trying to, uh, trying to lead by example as well. And just trying to motivate my guys to, uh, to clear the schedule to come join me in, uh, you know, some of these races. Absolutely. But, so with that said though, you've got a couple of races left, right? We've got uh, a CBR race coming up this weekend, which is a part of the best all around rider series, the, what, what CBR calls their prestige series. And there's one more round after that. And then you've got a Memorial day weekend Omnium coming up, which has some great racing. So it's, uh, there's still some opportunities for you to get out there and get some more results and add to that tally we talked about earlier. For sure. And I'm definitely, you know, looking forward to that. Um, yeah, this weekend there's a CBR and then, uh, the Memorial weekend Omnium. And then obviously, um, July 7th is the district champs. And, you know, I think about that every single day that I wake up. That's all that's on my mind right now. As you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's As my boy. Know. That's my boy. I love it. I love it, dude. That, that, oh man, that gets me so fired up. So let's, before we stray away from this mindset thing, what have been your influences on, uh, in mindset? Cause I think this is a really important thing for, for other athletes to really look at, uh, because cycling is such a challenging sport. Cycling is so, so challenging in many ways because there's so many layers and it's so difficult, but it's so unbelievably rewarding. And you've really turned that into a hugely positive thing. What have, what have been your influences, uh, for mindset? Well, um, so the majority, the, the main thing that was for me, um, and switching it up this year was really our conversations and, you know, something that you told me even last year and it was, you know, Tony quit trying so hard. I mean, I don't think you said it that way, but you said, just go race your bike and have fun. So, you know, I kind of took this mentality of lowering expectations, but, um, the way that I kind of tweaked my mindset, uh, was from a different, a couple different standpoints. And before I kind of go too far into that, I should probably tell you guys what I do for a living. So I, I teach people how to day trade index futures. So stock market where I'm a day trader and I do a podcast or a, a, a session every day on the microphone for an hour. I've got, you know, hundreds of people that follow me. And I've developed a system to trade the NASDAQ futures. And that in itself takes a, a level of mental fortitude that not everybody possess. And so you really have to train your mind to deal with market conditions, volatility, et cetera. And so one of the things that, um, 
that I, that I found was, and it was through you was Jocko Wilnick who wrote a book. His first book was extreme ownership. Um, you know, I read that and it has, you know, obviously a lot of, um, battlefield scenarios, but it all parlays right back into the mindset about the mission and about, you know, what it takes to get it done and, you know, embracing the suck, et cetera, et cetera. And then one step further, I, I would say my biggest, um, the biggest contribution to my mindset tweak was David Goggins this year in his book, uh, can't hurt me. And, you know, that really came, that really flowed with not necessarily lowering expectations, but I'm going to, I mean, I'm going to cuss. So it's just a zero fucks mentality. So <laughs> the, the one thing, the one thing that I, I really love about cycling is it forces you to be present. Like you have to be in the moment. You can't be thinking about other things when you are, you know, in a Peloton of 80 guys and everybody's trying to rip everyone's legs off. You have to be present. And, you know, so what I really did this year was I said, I'm going to stop worrying about the last lap when I'm 15 minutes into the race. I'm going to, I'm going to worry about this race or I'm going to focus on this race one lap at a time. And the cool thing about the category that I race in the 45 plus, and I kind of dub it the PGA, right? Cause we're, we're basically like the PGA tour where all the same guys show up every weekend. I know, you know, uh, their strengths and their weaknesses. I play on all of that stuff. I know how they operate as a team. I size these guys up. If there's someone I haven't met or haven't raced uh, with before, I will go do research on these people and find out what kind of results they have. And I'll dive into their road results, um, you know, the uh, road results website to see what they've done, where they've come from. I'll dive into their Strava to see what kind of training they're doing because I really want to see who I'm dealing with. And, you know, I'm, I'm very confident in my abilities, but I want to play off of, you know, I want to see basically who has the most to lose in that race. And that's who I'm going after. So I'm really, really focused on reading the race one lap at a time. And again, just not really caring about the end result, just focusing on what's happening right then and there. And then obviously, as it all comes together, positioning myself for, you know, for the last, uh, for the last lap and, and making sure that I'm there and putting myself in a position to, to, uh, to, to produce a result. So a lot of that, uh, back to Goggins real quick. I know I'm kind of jumping all over the place, but Goggins, one it. of the thing, one of the things in his book was, you know, he had, and David Goggins, everybody's probably heard of him now. He's, he, you know, he wrote this book and he's on, you know, Joe, Ro Joe Rogan. I mean, he's on all kinds of podcasts. Um, and so everyone knows that he was 297 pounds when he was trying to be a seal. And they said, look, dude, you need to lose 107 pounds in 90 days. And so he, he basically said, I can do that. He did the math and what he had to lose every week and he went after it. Right. And he said that, you know, part of his regimen was a 30 minute run or a three hour run, whatever the, it was, but he had to do this every day. So he said there were, there were times that he would sit and look at his tennis shoes for 30 minutes because it just sucked so bad to do this every day, but he knew he had to do it to get to that end result. So 
for me, taking that thing that, you know, you have to do something that sucks every day. So what I've been doing this year is I've been doing a morning commute. So I, I work from my house. I don't work at an office. I work at my, my office is in my house, but I've been basically getting up at 4.30 every morning. That part sucks, right? But you got to do it. So I get up at 4.30 every morning and I get on my trainer and I do a 45-minute spin. There's no effort, but it's a 45-minute commute of about 12 miles. And then after the market closes at 1 o'clock, that's when I go out and train. So, you know, kind of doing the two-a-day thing, but that is a just, it, it's a mindset thing for me. And so when 4.30 rolls around and the mind says, no, nah, dude, you can sleep in. You've been doing, you know, it's Thursday. You did it three days in a row already. Like, fuck that. I have to do it. It's just, there's no, there's, there's no, no out here. I've got to do it. And so, you know, just, just keeping my mind sharp in that regard. And, uh, I think that it's helped my, my trading as well. Um, but you know, that's been a big thing for me is really just, just kind of dealing with, uh, the race one lap at a time or one mile at a time if it's a road race or one stage at a time if it's a stage race. And, and that's, I mean, that's really, we kind of get caught up in, you know, kind of visualizing the end result. And then we focus so hard on that, that, you know, we don't, we don't really get it, uh, get it done. I, I don't know if that makes sense or not. I love it, man. That, that makes a lot of sense. One thing that I want to kind of distill down for everybody is just simply that, it's not as if when we talked, we said, hey, the result doesn't matter or that the, the end result was not something that you desired to be favorable. It, it's more that we what we talked about was that the things that the Europeans know about cycling is that cycling is like a play. And a play, you have a development of characters, you have a plot, you develop the plot. And then as the plot thickens, some things happen, and then you have a crescendo and a finish, right? And so that's what each of these races are. And so many people, and I shouldn't say so many people, so many athletes, they want to write the finishing, they want to write the final chapter before they've written the 10 chapters before, right? And and, and so right. for you, the thing that we have talked about, and I've talked about this with a lot of my athletes, but we talk about enjoying the process of writing the first chapter, the second chapter, the third chapter, the fourth chapter, the fifth chapter, and on, because there's going to be drama in each of those. There's going to be adversity. There's going to be triumph as well, right? And that's what we're talking about is you're, you're really allowing yourself to go through that process, to be engrossed in those chapters and to write them and embrace them appropriately. So, so you can't be saying, okay, well, in the final sprint, I'm going to be here and I'm going to do here and I'm going to be here until we really know how this story unfolds, because maybe you need to be a little bit further up. Maybe you need to be a little bit further back for the sprint. Maybe it never even comes to a sprint, right? And so I think for you, what has been really, really good is instead of trying to be an, a very static player in the game, you are a very active player in the game and you are always working. And it's like, it's, it's kind of like, it, it's almost as if, um, what's improv. It's almost like improv comedy. That's really what it is, right? <laughs> like, like you're, you're the guy that like just keeps showing up in every scene and like just keeps making everybody laugh. And they're like, where, where did this guy come from? You know what I mean? There he's on the podium again. Right. 
but that that's really what cycling is is like it's like improv you just keep going and if you've ever seen great improv it's like people can keep going and adapting with the situation it doesn't matter which situation arises or what what way the jokes go they can tell different kinds of jokes and they can they can entertain the audience in a different way and i think for you that's something we've worked really hard on is not just you being able to do being a one trick pony we understand that when you show up to these races in most cases you haven't had team support and that's not to say that you're not a part of a great team because the carefast guys are awesome but a lot of the races it's worked out that you're the only guy there so you're racing against teams of four five six riders and multiple teams like that and then what do you do in that scenario right like that i I, i've coached guys like that that it's very difficult for them to find ways to get on the get on the results sheet in top tens even is tough because there's just so, you know, you can almost get paralyzed by the amount of possibilities that five teams of five can throw at you. And then you just blow up and and can't get a result, but you've managed to crack the code, right? And I attribute that so much to you doing your homework and us talking through it. And then like you said, like we always debrief about these races. We usually talk about them before and after. Uh, and that, that helps you learn quickly, retain the information that you need and get rid of all the things that don't. So to me, there's just a lot of really good stuff there that starts with, with that Jocko Willink extreme ownership that was, okay, I'm going to own all the things that I can influence positively. And here's what I'm going to do about it right? I'm going to do all these things. And then you added the icing on the cake with the David Goggins side of things, which was like, Hey, I am going to do the hard work, like the caveman hard work necessary to make this happen. And then you had like this really beautiful, and you're seeing that as like this really beautiful blend of, of panache, but, but I would say like surgical application, but also brute force when you need it. Right. And that's that's really a good balance when you're a cyclist, because you, you do have to have brute force power, but you also have to have surgical precision. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you got to finesse it. And, you know, Goggins calls it the knuckle dragger mentality. And it's just, you know, like you said, um, it is improv. There's no doubt about it. I mean, the, the race can play out in, in several ways. And, you know, there's a lot of people that like to to race their bikes and, you know, they have the, the same mentality especially a sprinter, you know, sprinters, um, or someone that, that deems themselves a, or classifies himself as just a sprinter, you know, they have this kind of mentality of sitting in and, and kind of just letting the race play out. And if a break gets away, then a break gets away. I don't travel five hours to sit in on any race. I'm there to race nope. my bike. I'm there to race my bike and I love to race. So like you said, I'm going to be there. And, you know, I hope that guys are like, what the, where are this, where is this guy coming from? That's, I want to be in their head in that regard for sure, because I, I want them to count me out. I want them to say that dude's been doing too much work for the entire race. And then just count me out because I'm going to be there on that final lap. And I'm going to be there to uh, position myself for a result. Absolutely. And I'm going to fight for it. Without, no doubt about it. Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt, without <laughs> a doubt. But w- one thing that I think is appropriate is, is, tenacity right like there's there's definitely uh there's definitely been some things said about cyclists and and i think a lot of it in fairness where um you know and specifically has been said about pro cyclists where it's like hey 
you know, pro cyclists don't make the best employees after pro cycling. And, and the reason that, that, that the person in question said this was because you learn to lose. And therefore, you know, like if you lose an argument every time, or if you lose every, you know, 99 times out of a hundred, that makes you a loser. Right. Right. So, but like cyclists don't really look at themselves like that, you know, you, and you shouldn't, no one should look at themselves like that. And I think it's important to recognize that winning, I think in cycling and, and certainly bike racing, you have to look at it. You have to adjust what winning looks like because only one person can win in a peloton of 80 riders. And even if you want to say, Hey, we're going to give the win to the team and the team is five or six riders, you know, there's, there's a very low percentage that you come away with the win, right? But we can look at your results this season and see five second places, two third places. I think there was another three or four events we talked about that were top fives, right? And, uh, not to mention the two wins, right? So, so out of all that, you've managed to take a lot of benefit out of this thing because we've just not made it about winning and losing. We've made, we've made the win about choosing the appropriate tactical response to be able to strategically place yourself and, and what we've talked about is winning the war, right? Like how would, how are you going to win that? Now you find yourself in a podium position, um, for the best all around rider series, which is, you know, something that is very unique to the California bicycle racing prestige series where in which they have, you know, they collect, everyone collects points based on their finishes. And you're literally in the 45 plus, which is the most competitive, the hands down, the most competitive, best teams, most teams, uh, and biggest fields of the race series. And you're one guy, you're one guy T rage and you're uh, <laughs> on the podium. I, I mean, I just, I couldn't, I can't tell you how proud I am of you, but also how exciting that is because it just goes to show that there is opportunity out there if you're willing to do the work. And if you're willing to, to put your, build your mindset in such a way that success is the only option, right? Like there is failure is not an option. Right. There is no plan B. <laughs> there, there is no plan no B. Plan. <laughs> there is no plan B. <laughs> That's going to be the title of this, this, this podcast. I'm just going to put it out when I publish it. I'm just going to put, there is no plan B quote, Tony Rago. <laughs> I don't, just I see don't, I don't any, know where see that's See how many from. clicks we get with that. Yeah. I don't know that I'm the author of that, but, um, I forget where we'll go where I've it. heard that, but it's uh, oh, I'm sure it, it, it's very true. I mean, there there really is no no other option, right? I mean, so like you say that you know when all else fails, fall back on your training. So that's obviously the core of all of this because if you didn't train, you wouldn't be able to do all these things. So I'm extremely grateful for our relationship and your understanding my you know my personal life, whether it's the the scheduling uh, issues that I might have around the market and then obviously dealing with the weather now that we head into the, you know, into the summer, the afternoons are going to be hard to train. So I have to sneak off the trading desk to try to get a, you know, a midday, uh, 90, 90 minute, you know, hardcore workout in. And then obviously, you know, it, there's a balance that we have to deal with, with family as well. And, 
you know, I don't have kids, but I do have, uh, I have a little pack of dogs that, uh, you know, take up a, a lot of my, uh, a lot of my time and a lot of my thoughts. And, and here recently, one of my little dudes was, wasn't doing well. And I thought we were going to lose them. And, um, you know, you got to take a step back on stuff and, and you really, as much as I love to race and I don't want to get all mushy or anything, but you know, whether it's a dog or whether it's your, whether it's your child, I mean, there are times when you have to shelf that stuff and deal with what's important. And, you know, there, there's a dichotomy that you have to, that you have to obviously finesse in that regard as well. So, and then once you, uh, once you get that sorted out, then you can get back to the task at hand. So I'm glad to say that it is all sorted out and my little dude's doing good and, uh, we're, we're back in it. So, yeah, I know we're we're kind of, I know we're kind of all over the place in this podcast. We're just having a little, little conversation, but um, just trying to cover all bases. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Okay, so look, so you said you said a couple of things. And we got to we got to we really got to dissect some of this stuff. But like one thing that kind of following up on your previous, um, on your previous, just kind of to wrap that up was there's a great quote that that you and I have shared with each other in the past and, and it's really important to bring up for people. And that is we don't rise to the level of our expectations. We fall to the level of our training. Okay. That is a great quote. It, I mean, it literally has stood the test of time because I believe it was said by an uh, ancient Roman or, or, or Greek uh, warrior of some kind. But anyway, uh, so that's, a, that's one way to look at your attitude and that you're like, Hey, you know, it's easy to have great expectations, but I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm not going to, I'm going to let make sure that my level of training is such that I can be successful. And then kind of stepping into this new realm, I'm so glad you brought up the family component because again, uh, I don't think that people listening to this podcast would probably think like this, but I, I've certainly been around it in my, in my years racing and, and, and coaching where, Someone will be like, oh, you know, that, that person is successful because they don't have kids or that person is successful because they have a job that allows them to be flexible or, or whatever it is. And, and it's never usually an indictment on the person they're pointing the finger at as much as it's an indictment on themselves for, for not having a commitment level or a plan or appropriate goals that, that allow them to be successful. Right. And so I don't think anybody listening would, 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 say that. But, but one thing I want to uh, bring up for everyone listening at home is just how important it is like for them to understand like, yeah, you're hearing Tony. I mean, you're hearing, there's a reason I call him T-Rage because he's just like full of piss and vinegar and he's just fired up and you're always going to get after it. And I love that about you. Right. But, but there is balance there. You are a loving husband and you just cherish your wife and you look forward to making her dinner and, and doing those things. And your dogs are your family. Right. So, um, I, do, I don't think it's a fair statement to, for, for anyone to take away from this. Well, you know, Tony has more time to devote than somebody else because that's just not true. You have a full and busy life and you make tremendous sacrifice to prioritize your training and racing. And I, I think that should be applauded, right? And you have, you do strike an incredible balance and you have lovely family and you, you have incredible friendships that you nurture. I mean, for God's sakes, man. What did we talk about? You were going to go to Ironman Triathlon in Florida because some one of your friends was going to fly you out there just to cook for them. So 
Like <laughs> you have, you, you know, this isn't as like, you know, you don't have any conflicting things going on and you're just like, well, I got a free hour and a half. Maybe I should just do some training stress score stuff. You know, <laughs> like this isn't <laughs> like that, right? You're, you've got a, you got a busy life, you know? Yeah, definitely. Um, and, and funny that you say that because he qualified for Kona. So we are headed to Kona, um, this year and, uh, we'll do a redo. I did that with him last year at Kona. Um, and he wasn't quite satisfied with his results. So he qualified again and he's fired up to go again. And he says, we're absolutely doing it again. So we're all going to load up and head out to Kona and make sure that his nutrition's on point and, uh, you know, give him all the support that he needs to, I think he wants to come in right around nine hours or sub nine, something to that effect, uh, which is just baller, dude. baffling. Like baller it's status. Just yeah. baffling to me. I think oh, he yeah, wanted nine fifteen last year and he came in right at 10, uh, 10 hours even. Uh, and that was due to him going too hard on the, on the bike, on the way out. There was a big headwind on the way back. So, but I mean, you want to talk about, um, tenacity. Holy. I mean, that whole scene in Kona during Ironman is just, it's unbelievable. And to see those athletes and what they do and, you know, to get out of the water, go do that ride and then have to turn around and do a full marathon. That's insane. It's just insane. Yeah. Well, sub 10, sub 10 is legit. There's no doubt about that. That is, that is hard to tell I me. Mean, obviously he's qualifying for Kona, but you know, some, you bring up something really interesting that I, I think is, this is way off topic here, but I think it's worth talking about with you is like this notion of, of being around a wolf pack, right? And, or being in the wolf pack. And I've talked with this with a number of my athletes and that's really what it's like. You talk about being at Kona, which is the world triathlon championships during champ, during the week of the championships. Right. And like you're around the best of the best in any age group and the best of the best professionals. Like you're literally like, there's such a high concentration of super fit, total stud male and female athletes of all kinds. And like even people with disabilities that are there that are just like blow your mind, fit, crush goals, amazing people. Right. And you're around all those people. Like you think of all the positivity that surrounds surrounding an event like that. Right. And I think that's something that's really, I know that you and I have kind of talked about this, but like trying to create that atmosphere or be in an atmosphere like that, as much as possible and surrounding yourself with, with just wonderful, wonderful people that are going to lift you up and help you, you know, that's how you're going to get better, right? Like you, that's what happens. You go to Conan and all of a sudden somebody sets a world record, right? And you're like, well, how did that happen? Well, it's because the best of the best of the best were there. And, you know, you start collaborating and talking and people are around each other and pushing each other's limits. And then pretty soon, bada bing, bada boom, like there's a new record set and it's a new benchmark for everyone. Right. And I, I think for you, that's an environment in which you can thrive. And that's why, that's why that gentleman wants you to be a part of his team. Cause he knows that not only do you cook amazing food, but you're part of the wolf hack. Right on. Absolutely. The energy there is just, is unbelievable. So I, I obviously will jump at any invitation to, to be a support, uh, you know, mechanism for an athlete and, uh, and just to be around that and just soak it all up for sure. Love that, dude. So, okay, of I'm going to put you on the spot. Of all the races this year, what has been your most rewarding and why? Wow. 
probably, um, honestly, probably the 35 plus road race at San Dimas. Um, and the reason is, you know, obviously the teams that were noted previously, um, and we just had, I mean, we had, um, a team that was one, two, three on the GC going in. And I mean, obviously they were marked and it was just a battle, man. It was just a battle. And, you know, their guy got away and, um, these guys didn't speak very good English, but paying attention to them in the Peloton. I mean, I think their guy had like a minute 20 on the field and he was in a break of about four or five guys. And I could tell just by the body language, I didn't, I couldn't understand a word that they were saying, but I could tell that they didn't like the break and that they wanted to bring it back. And so they went right to the front. And then I just let my dudes know, I'm like, Hey, we're bringing this thing back. Let's, let's do it. You know? And everybody just kind of got into it. And, and, you know, we obviously brought it back. DeMarkey being DeMarkey did, you know, a ballsy move on the last lap and just, they just let him go solo. So he does a solo win um, and I really didn't even realize that he was out there, uh, until Heckler's Hill and, you know, Heckler's Hill were coming up and the dudes are saying, Hey, DeMarkey's going to win this. He's 30 seconds ahead of you guys. And I'm like, well, we got to get a result. And so, you know, the way that it started to play out was, um, you know, we had our guys that we marked like Bahati and Sharon and, uh, and the remaining crew of monster that was left in the Peloton, uh, as well as the other GC guys. And, um, the, you know, the lead out for, for me, as well as, uh, for Danny, um, we kind of, we kind of made an audible, uh, Danny came by me and, uh, he was in a better position to, to go, you know, basically go after, uh, the sprint with Sharon. And I mean, Sharon was second, he was third. And, and that was probably the most fulfilling day on the bike this season was to see my boy, you know, get third in that race. I mean, in a stacked field. And, uh, you know, it was just awesome. So I would have to say that was probably my most memorable, uh, race of the year so far. I love that dude. And if that doesn't, and, it, and the celebration thereafter, obviously, I mean, you know, <laughs> to be honest with you, I think that was like his second race. That might've been his first race of the year, but you know, just, I was constantly in his ear, motivating him to try to get out there and make it happen. He's, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's my boy and, uh, he's got a very young family, so he doesn't really get it to get out there and, uh, and race as much as I know he wants to, cause he just loves it. And every race report that I give him, he's just, he's just teaming. You know, he's just like, I gotta, I gotta get, I gotta go. I gotta get permission. I gotta go. I gotta go. So to see him be able to do that, it was just, it was amazing. I love it, man. That's, that is really cool. And then a testament to the, just the energy and enthusiasm you bring to the team, right? So it was, I mean, for those to remember, for those at home, just to remember, there was going to be a time when you were probably going to race that by yourself. And then literally it was maybe five days, you know, before the registration closed, it was like, care fast is on board and five guys are coming or six guys are coming and we're going to have an yeah. Airbnb and it's going to be rad. You know yep. what I mean? So it was on, man. It you was know, on. That was, that, you know, for the hardest stage of the race for you guys to turn it around and be mixing it up with, uh, with some very, very good bike riders is, uh, yeah, that's got to make you feel good, man. That's going to make you feel Absolutely. real good. All right. 
So one of the things that we've been doing on this podcast, well, T, is there anything that you feel like that we didn't cover? Anything, any subjects you feel like we didn't cover that we need to cover? No, I mean, you know, again, I, I think that if you're, if you're choosing this sport, um, you know, for me, you can't be half pregnant, right? So you, you're, you have to be all in on this. You can't just half-ass train. I mean, I don't know. I guess if you have the luxury of, of living in California and living, you know, 40 minutes from CBR and you can go sit in on races and, and whatever, but I'm not a settler <laughs> at all. Um, you know, uh, meaning I don't settle for, well, I'm not in a position. I don't feel that good today or what, man, come on. I've traveled five hours for this race. I'm going to, I'm going to leave it all here no matter what. So, I mean, I think that, um, a takeaway is if you're truly choosing this sport, you got to be passionate about it. You have to eat, sleep and breathe it. If you want to be competitive and, uh, you need a coach, you need a coach to keep you accountable and, you know, put in that hard work and you need someone that actually races their bike as well to, to talk you through this stuff because you obviously, um, are, are a well-rounded racer with great results and beyond tenacity. Everyone knows your reputation and I'm absolutely grateful to have you as a coach to, to help me through all of that. And you've been a big part of my mindset tweak this year as well. Um, I know you pretty much will go with whatever I say, but you know, you keep me grounded on a lot of stuff and, uh, you, you keep me with the mission in mind and, uh, and completely focused. So well, and I, I guess what I'm trying to say is, is if, if you're going to do it, you got to be all in, you, you, you absolutely have to, uh, to commit to this sport. I love that, man. Thank you for, thank you for sharing that. And thanks for the, the kind, those are, those are very flattering things that you say, but I, I would say I, I definitely, I definitely don't work to appease you. I, I think of it as like, you're always on, not always on track. I mean, we always get, everybody gets a little, you know, haywire, but I think I always try to, Im- to bring things to you that are good for you to chew on. And then as you chew on them, then we, we work on things together and, and we revise together. And, and, and part of the reason why we're always on the same page is because we talk so much, right? Like we're just always thinking and talking and, and communicating about these things. So it's, it's not hard to be on the same page. Um, you know, you, you have such, you have so much enthusiasm for this that it's easy to go, okay, well, let's just, you know, let's just make sure we point it in the right direction. Right. And so, uh, that I think is key for you being successful because we don't want you to just work hard because working hard is only one layer of it all. Right. And you brought that up. You have to be kind of all in and, and you've had to look at all those things to, to make it happen. So I'm really proud of you for being willing to do, to pay the full price, you know, and that's not easy to do. And I can, I can sympathize with that as, uh, as an athlete myself, because I struggle with that too and have had to look at things like you are and go, okay, well, this is the most important thing right now that I have to do. And it's the one thing that I just absolutely loathe doing and I have to do it. Right. So, so good on you for that, you know, good on you for that. And thank you. You know, I appreciate that you can help keep me honest with that as well. Yeah. Do something that sucks every day, no matter what. (laughs) Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Copy that. Copy that. Okay. So, uh, we're always closing this thing out with some closing gratuity 
I think that's so important for all of us. I know you're a deeply grateful person and you have so much in your life to be thankful for. So um, no guidance, nothing in particular, just like free form. What are you thankful for? What's all, what are you currently? I know you're thankful for many things, but what are the things on your mind right now that you're thankful for? Well, I'm obviously thankful for, you know, my wife again, you know, I'm just going to mention her again, that how supportive she is of this because, you know, bike racing, uh, a 48 year old dude racing his bike can be dismissed as a hobby quite often, but she realizes my passion for it. And she's a massive, massive, uh, supporter of everything that I'm doing down to the training. Um, she sacrifices obviously time to do other things with friends, et cetera. Um, because I'm either unable or, you know, unwilling to do them because I am, I am dedicated to this. Um, I'm clearly obviously grateful for you and, uh, and working with me and, and just, you know, I mean, I, I'm grateful for, for, you know, so much. I, I don't know really, uh, I can't really just pinpoint it down to one or one or two things. Um, you know, I've built a, uh, a career, um, where I'm able to actually, you know, kind of do my own thing and I don't have to answer to anybody. So it all kind of flows together, having a big, a big support mechanism with, uh, my wife and a career that, um, you know, I can kind of, uh, juggle my training and, and, and insert, uh, my training into that, that doesn't impede on either one, the career or the training. So, you know, I'm in man. Nice. Nice. Uh, I'm going to follow up and I'm going to piggyback on that to your age. I'm going to say, you know, I too, uh, I have been reminded recently just how, um, how important it is to be well-rounded, um, because we are so, you know, we get so singular focused in our, in our drive to be successful and uh, so I, too, owe my wife and, and the, the support network of people. I always think of it as like a performance team. We're very lucky. I'm, I feel very lucky to be a part of your performance team um, and people that you look to and trust um, to help you be the best you can be. Um, and I have those people around me, most of which is my wife. And um, I, there's there's so many of those people that I have been reaching out to recently um just because I had some tough results at the Belgian waffle ride recently. And, uh, that was a big helping of, uh, you know, that was a big helping of humble, humble pie and not what I trained for, uh, and not what I sacrificed so much of so much for. But, uh, so I'm very thankful for all those people that have either reached out to me or for otherwise been said, Hey, um, you know, Hey, your best is yet still to come. It's not behind you. So, you know, T, I always look forward to our conversations because your positivity reminds me that that is true, that our best days are ahead of us. And I hope that everyone listening can take that, that like, hey, I don't care how old you are. I don't care what your weight is. I don't care what your watts per kilo are. I don't care what kind of bike you're riding. Your best days are ahead and, and we can work. We can do the work and and pay the price to make sure that is the case. So thank you, T, for being an example for for all of us for that. Well, absolutely, man. And I, I would obviously be remiss if I didn't mention my, uh, my massive support mechanism with my team as well. So all my dudes are behind me with these results this year and, uh, you know, they're there when they can be and, and, uh, looking forward to, to bringing them to more races and, and, and making sure that we bring it. 
Love that. Love that. Okay. Well, T, then I think that's going to bring our conversation here to a close. And I'm just so thankful for your time. This has been a ton of fun. If you'll do me a favor, just hang on the line here so that we can do some backside stuff. And just to all those folks that are listening at home, thank you for taking the time to listen to this. I hope you've enjoyed learning more about Tony and his success, but also seeing the more human side of of it and not just the uber tenacious bike racer, Tony. And, um, you know, I hope that, uh, if there's anything you folks at home listening, if you think there's something that big wheel coaching can do for you, know that we are super passionate about our athletes. We love seeing them be successful and we love getting in the trenches and do and helping them in every way possible to be successful. So, uh, um, yeah, we, we just thank you, Tony, for your time. Thanks everyone for listening. And, uh, we'll look forward to catching up with everybody and do another podcast very soon.